Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Friday edition of Scoops with Danny Mac. Great to have you with us. The weekend just about here. I'll take you up to Ribs and BK. They're coming your way at 10. Jim Thomas of the Post-Dispatch will be with us. Lots to cover with Jim as he covered the Rams their entirety here in St. Louis and now covering the St. Louis Blues, one of the legends in sports here in town. And uh, Tanner is with us today. And Tanner, I, I look at the text line and it's the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I always get a kick when I sit uh, in the seat and I get a, a look at what is going on with uh, Michelle and Randy. And it says Danny Mac equals Golden Retriever. Very loyal, good boy. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the hell they're talking about here. What, what, what's going on here? So I don't know how we got on the subject, but during Carriker and Smallman, they discussed what what breed of dog would uh-huh. be a great interviewer. And we talked about what, which one would represent Stephen A., which one would represent Randy and Michelle. So I think that's where the text line went. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, can, I can handle that. I have three Goldens. So, a couple of uh, rescues. I've got a, actually, I got a three-legged dog. That's Junior. It's got three legs. Yeah, that's right, three legs. That's Junior. I got a Hank. He's a big old golden. And I got a new one during the quarantine. That's Doug. He's a puppy. Doesn't do much. He's pretty quiet too. Hey, that's a good. That's a good puppy. Then. Yeah, he likes to sleep a lot. But uh, good to have you aboard. That's uh, Tanner Hendrickson, and uh, he's running the board for us. And. Uh, well, we like to have a little fun on this. So this is your show, folks. Air Comfort Service tax line. Like drop. We love to get those. Hopefully I make you think. You make me think. And uh, 636, we're talking about Jack Buck and that special and the crossover. It said uh, the doctor was watching the game in the delivery room. And after Ozzy hits the home run, he turns to my mom and says, okay, now we can have a baby. And here I am. Well, Jack did have that effect on a lot of people. All right, you can have the kid. Maybe that's what happened. All right, here we go. We're going to start with a little baseball. Yesterday, Derek Gould was uh, a part of the show. And the first question I asked to Derek, who covers the Cardinals, can you have, realistically, a Major League Baseball season? It's a tremendous undertaking by Major League Baseball. I think what they're trying to do is uh, is going to be a remarkable test, um, but also a remarkable example for other industries and other entities and other, like, you know, I guess social touchstones that we have. Um, you know, they are putting a lot of faith and demands on the discipline of the players and the organization of the team. Um, can a, you know, beast the size of more than 700-plus players um, and 30 different organizations all follow the same guidelines to stay as healthy as possible. And when you have moments um, of positive tests, which a handful of teams already have had, how quickly do they move so that it doesn't, you know, um, basically bench an entire team and have the season come apart? So I think it's a, it's a remarkable feat. Um, if they pull it off, um, it'll be an example for other places other businesses you know you could see how it would relate to schools as well 
Um, so it's a it's a chance for baseball after all the acrimony and frustration to not only bring entertainment back to uh, to a to a community and to a society, but also maybe a little bit of the of leadership back too. Is the question just how far will baseball bend with this? Because we know we're going to get tests. So my my question would be. Uh, testing and positive test is what is what my point. But you know, mm-hmm. if you have a bunch on a team, you know, how far do you go to where the competition level is dipping into? Well, you know, you're not really dealing with major league players out there. How far do we really want to go with that competition level of dealing with an independent player out there? And all of a sudden, there's three or four of them out there. Is that really worth it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question, but that speaks to how quickly teams have to move um, on testing, quarantine, isolating, and then constant testing. So, like, for example, that's not where any teams want to get. They don't want to get where it's, you know, widespread in their clubhouse because they realize how fast that could go. So it's early indicators, you know, it's lots of testing early on, and then it's anybody who's been in contact or has some concerning symptoms it's up to them to isolate and and they're talking about the habits off the field you know away from the ballpark on the road can you make good decision um you know can you make even ultra conservative decisions as far as the actions you take pre preemptive um because what you're talking about at that point in time you know what they what, what they want teams to do is act fast and then once the, somebody is in isolation test often so that they can return to play and not have it be, you know, the 14 days um, away and, and have it really kind of, uh, you know, cause the team to come apart. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, and nobody wants the, the situation you described, not, not because of the quality of play, but because of the quality of health that yeah. could imply that the, the clubhouse is going through. So, um, you know, it is the biggest question. Um, with baseball in regards to the virus is what happens if it does um, take out an entire team from competition? Do they move on? How do they do it? And and no one wants to, everybody wants to do everything possible to avoid that. Um, And that includes putting protocols in place, but also creating habits outside the ballpark. Um, And this is where it's going to take a lot of discipline from the players that, uh, that limit that. Discipline from the players. However, hypothetically, about 60 players to choose from. And again, as Derek said, though, uh, what if you have a virus that uh, runs through, let's say, your you know, middle of your lineup? And that is the nightmare for baseball, but yet they're going to try to do it. I applaud them for it. They got through the economic part of it. They're going to try, and that's what fans wanted to see. More on that in just a moment. So I was doing some numbers Last night, you know, under Mike Schilt, the Cardinals have been a second-half team. You don't have that luxury this year. Last year, the Cardinals, first half, they were 44-44. and 44. The second half, they were 47-27. and 27. Now, a lot of that was due to Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond was the difference. He was one of the most valuable Cardinals last season. Played in only 92 games but posted the third-best war in Major League Baseball with fewer than 100 games. So you get the idea. In a 60-game season, you have to play very, very good baseball coming out of the gate. You're not uh, afforded the opportunity to have a bad week or two bad weeks right away. And that's where the Cardinals separate themselves because of their pitching. They're going to have better pitching than maybe anybody else in baseball. I did this stat, too. Since opening day of 2011... 
the Cardinals have played 1,458 games. Okay? 1,458 games. 1,455 of those were technically in the playoff chase. So I don't think the Cardinals as an organization look at this as a 60-game season and say, well, we don't want to win a championship and we're not taking this seriously. I think they do. I think they owe it to themselves. I think they're going to look at it and say we owe it to our fan base that we consider this very important. We're going to try to win. We're going for it. You know, one of the things I think that's really interesting, too, how about individual feats? Yadier Molina, 1,983 games. Fourth most all-time in Cardinals history. Okay? So within the first week or so, he passes Ozzy for third most all-time in games played in Cardinals history. You have Stan the Man, Lou Brock, Ozzie Smith, then Yadier Molina. That's a big deal. Then he becomes a third most all-time. Three games away from tying Tony Pena for sixth all-time in games caught. So if we get there, they get through spring training. He plays in three games. He's sixth all-time in baseball. He's only 79 games away from Jason Kendall. So he won't get there this year, but he will next year. Pretty amazing stuff. Now, I've really been focusing on the pitching of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Going into the season, the biggest concern, the hitting. Mark Saxon of The Athletic. I want to see, you know, can they hit? Um, We know that they have so much pitching to throw at teams. We saw it all of last year. We saw it starting to take shape in spring training. But what groupings kind of produce the best offense? I I just want to see if this is a team that can hang. Because I think the game has changed. When you have teams with offenses as good as the Dodgers, the Yankees, uh, the Braves, the even the Cubs, even the Brewers, the Cardinals haven't been able to match up, and I do think it's a game now, especially when you get into those tight postseason games. If you don't have good hitters up and down the lineup, you're just not going to go as far as you want to go. So ultimately it's what the offense looks like that I'm most interested in seeing. I am too, and that's what it may come down to for the Cardinals. Remember against the Nationals in the NLCS, they averaged 1.5 runs per game. Their average was 130. 130. That's what they hit against the Nats. Lowest ever for any team in the best of seven playoff series. So we know they're going to probably pitch, and they're going to have the depth. And now it's a lineup minus Marcelo Zuna with a DH. So here you go, Tyler O'Neill. Here's your shot. If you don't do it, Lane Thomas, here's your shot. Harrison Bader, here's your shot. Matt Carpenter, DH, third base. Let's see what you got, the adjustments you made. So that's the things I'm looking forward to concerning baseball. Um, Concerning hockey, you know, Joey Vitale, who always is positive, love him on the broadcast. I'm starting to get excited. I think this can work, too. You got the bubble. You've got a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko. And you got guys that are... Just start to, you know, think about it. They're getting back on the ice. They're getting back with their teammates. They're getting back, you know, getting on the ice and saying, hey, this thing's going to come. And it's going to come very quickly in the next three weeks that we are, you know what, going to have to report. We're going to have to start to play and then report to these hub cities. And it's a run for the Stanley Cup. This is unfortunate, but I think it's reasonable. I would say that everything continues to look very positive. 
Uh, you hear the players talk about it in the press. I've talked to them uh, via text message or phone as well. Excited to get back and, and to play hockey. And the thought that you are within 30 games reach of a Stanley Cup final and a Stanley Cup championship. That excites these guys. Uh, you know, I know the argument out there is, well, these guys even want to play. They're in summer mode. Uh, they do because they also know that a break's coming. That's important. If, if this, because earlier in the summer, they were talking about having this playoff format and then jumping right into the season. I don't think players would, would have liked that at all. So I think you would have seen a lot of players upset about that situation. But this is very different. You come back in August, you play for a month, month and a half if you're lucky, and then you have another month and a half, two months off. Uh, players are excited about uh, little things, spending, spending time with their families on Halloween. They've never done that. Having a Thanksgiving at their home, they have never done that. So they're excited about the prospect of that. So if they have to go in there, put the boots on, go to work here for a month, month and a half, like I said, in August and September, uh, there's a lot of good moving forward for these players. So, again, I think it's all moving forward from a player's perspective. One of the things I think about when I heard uh, Joey talk about that, i got to wonder, once the NBA and the NHL gets through this, and if it goes off without a hitch, do they look at long-term, not just starting next season in December, but do they look at long-term saying, why are we playing, and I don't want to say meaningless, but lesser games in October and November uh, going head-to-head against college football when we get back to normalcy and the NFL? Why don't we just start in December and put some of these games that are the high-profile ones, the stretch run of the regular season when guys really start to play hard. Not to say that they always don't, but really the meaningful games to get in playoff position or playoffs themselves, and then the playoff games, and then the finals, and do it in the summer months. I don't know. It's something to think about. I do think that they're probably going to look at that, and if it works out, especially next year, if they start in December and then finish up at these times, I could see them doing it. The NBA, Brian Windhorst of ESPN. This is unfortunate, but I think it's reasonable to talk about. Like, This is a situation we're going into where you may need your 15th man or your 16th man or your 17th man. There may be a moment that happens because of injury or because of the virus where all of a sudden Deion Waiters is starting or J.R. Smith is starting because it's some things have happened and uh, here they come. And so, I mean, these signings right now, you know, it's like, oh, okay, the Nets signed Tyler Johnson. Okay, interesting. But You never know with this situation. It could end up mattering. That's where this gets unique. So while we look at the NBA and the NHL and they're in a bubble system and we say, hey, that seems to be better than baseball. And it might be because it seems like on the surface, it's more of a protective system while baseball is in the general public and they're traveling and they're exposed. The problem is. If LeBron or some of the top players or, God forbid, the virus takes out three or four of the top players on a team, on an NBA team or an NHL team, and they have to be quarantined for seven to ten days, if that happens, the depth on those rosters is not like what baseball has. Baseball has a pool of 40 to 60 players. And God forbid it happens in any sport, but the difference with baseball is that they have a massive amount of players to bring in. So while on one hand, yeah, you're, you, you, you have the bubble system and it may work and it may work, you know, and go off without a hitch. And that's great. And I hope it does. 
But baseball, while being maybe more exposed, has more players to pull from. I, I just, you know, I, I just find the whole thing fascinating. I hope they all work. I hope we have sports back. It could be awesome on all fronts, but it's just something to think about as I listen to all these guys talk about all sports coming back. Coming up, we'll talk it over with Jim Thomas of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. When I was a young whippersnapper just trying to chase down sound from Dick Vermeil or Mike Martz, Rich Brooks, you name it. Um, Jim Thomas, I get to say this publicly now, was the nicest man to me and helped me out and would do anything he could to help me just try to do my job. And so now I get to say it publicly. And Jim Thomas of the Post-Dispatch joins us on the show. Jim, it's always great to hear your voice. Thank you for all your years of what you've done. You're a legend in this business, and thank you for how you treated me and as always have treated me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm humbled and uh, a little bit embarrassed. But remember our running joke, I would tell you, because I knew you had talent and loads of talent. I said, now, Danny, when you become a big timer, <laughs> just remember me. I don't want you in 20 years to come up and say, uh, Joe, Joe Thomas, how are you? Look at that. You still remembered my name, so we, you're... you're you haven't big time. You always call me Action. You, you just said, yeah. hey, what's going on, Action? Action Dan, yeah. running around, Action, you know. Yeah. How yeah. you doing, Jim? Ricky, Ricky Smith didn't have all the, uh, he didn't have all the nicknames. <laughs> I know Rick had a nickname for everybody. But uh, How you doing, JT? What's going on, man? It, it's all good. Uh, uh, a busy time here as we wait for the, uh, the start of hockey. I've been spending most of the time in uh, my uh, home office here in uh, Oakville, the uh, Oakville Bureau of the uh, Blues Hockey, and uh Doing a little, uh, doing a little NFL. I every once in a while I'll do that. And interesting developments yesterday with the Pro Hall of Fame, but it's all, it's all good. Do you think? Um, do you think they can pull this off with the NHL? What do you think? You know, uh, they're supposed to start training camp two weeks from today, Dan. So uh, they're they're running out of time to to, to work this out. Uh, I, the assumption was that they would have the hub cities picked out this week. Well, today's Friday, so. We'll see what happens there. The thing that struck me was last week, and it was late afternoon, early evening, the NHL has said they will provide an update on players that have tested positive. And it's like a Friday news dump. It was either late Friday afternoon or it might have even been early in the evening, you know, at 6 o'clock or, or so. They announced uh, out of more than 200 players that had showed up for the Phase 2, the small group workouts last week, that 11 had tested positive. And it got me thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, let's go back to March 11th when one NBA player, the Utah Jazz player, tested positive. They shut down all of hockey. Now there's 11 players that have tested positive, and it's, it's full steam ahead. And I'm, I'm anxious and curious to see, uh, I, I would assume, because they're, they're, they're going to announce it every week, uh, if there'll be more players that have tested positive. Uh, I'm assuming the NHL once again will, you know, late late this afternoon or maybe even early evening announce uh, any uh, any more positive cases because uh, with the 24 teams, uh, that's over 700 players. And so far, as of last week, last Friday, only uh, uh, a little over 200 had showed up and they'd had the 11 positive cases. So, uh, and, and I think what has happened, you know, with the, with the, the positive tests, 
among NHL players. And, and also the news in the U.S., you know, many, many spots in the U.S., uh, the, the uh, COVID-19 is spiking. I think more players are wondering a little bit mm-hmm. if, if, if this is going to work out. So uh, we'll see. Like I said, they, under their plan, they, they'd be playing games in about five weeks and camp would start in two weeks. So if they're going to do this, they, they, they got to get going. With everything being so fluid, Jim, um, do you know exactly how the, the protocols would work in, in the testing in the NHL, or is that still kind of a work in progress? That is kind of the last thing that we're waiting for phase three, which would be training camp, and phase four, which would be the, re- the return to play, the actual resumption of the season. And th- those are among the last things that are being negotiated and worked out. Although the uh, the, the format has been approved for the games, although the start of camp uh, has been approved July 10th. They haven't, the NHL Players Association and the league, they haven't officially signed off on this. So that's, that's what they're waiting to do. And so, yeah, we do not know the protocol, except there will be that bubble once they return to play. And that would be the bubble of going to the practice rink, uh, the hotel, and the the game venue because there there won't be any practices at the game venue because there'll be tw- there'll be twelve teams there there'll be I would assume they'd be playing three games a a day and uh, so we know they're going to keep them in that in that bubble but there's no bubble right now during uh, uh, these phase two these small group there'll be no bubble during training camp obviously the Blues will keep Santine as 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 clean and healthy as possible. They're limiting the number of people uh, uh, that are in there. You know, for for example, in the phase two, not uh, this current uh, small group workouts. You know, media isn't allowed, fans, friends, and relatives of players, agents, none of them are allowed in there. But once the players leave, they're free to do what they want. Sure, the team could say, "Hey, go right home, stay at home," but we 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 keep having these getting these positive tests. Eleven. So the key for the NHL is that, that the players, the players on these playoffs team teams, they have to be self-disciplined until they get to that bubble. And they're expected to show up in the hub cities, uh, the, like the last week of July, because there's, there's going to be one or two uh, exhibition games. So even though it'll still be considered training camp, they're going to try to get a couple exhibition games for these teams. So can the league stay, uh, players stay disciplined enough to, uh, uh, to, to, to get to the bubble, and I think once they're in the bubble, the league will feel a little better about it. But you know, we, we've still got we've still got a month to go before before they'll be in that bubble. Jim Thomas is my guest from the Post Dispatch. I'm going to jump around a little bit, and I mentioned uh, Jim. You're a legend in this business. You did an incredible job over the years covering Mizzou, covering the entirety of the Rams, and then you made the jump to the National Hockey League when the Rams left, and and uh, made the jump to the beat of covering the blues what was that like for you uh going from the nfl to the nhl was it tough for you did you have to learn uh, learn a new sport or was it something that was kind of an easy transition for you no it, it was tough the learning curve was tough when, when you're covering a beat especially uh you know at the newspaper level that, that's basically all you do and you're, you're just immersed in it and you know, I went from, uh, uh, say, when working at home, having the TV on and the NFL network kind of as my wallpaper with the sound off while I was right. writing or making calls the days I was working at home, to switching over to the NHL. So I'm old enough to remember 
when the Blues first came here and how fired up the town was over the three uh, uh, three straight Stanley Cup appearances. I mean, we were all, including myself and Old South Sider, playing street hockey and everything. But then, you know, you get into your, your work and, and you have a family. So I couldn't, I can honestly say, other than the Blues, when I got the beat, I probably couldn't have named, I don't know, <laughs> 40 players in the NHL. So it was a steep learning curve. And I was like the, uh, you know, what do they say? The average two-year-old that asked uh, like 4,000 questions a day. That was me. And people like uh, uh, Tom Timmerman of our paper, Jeff Gordon, Jeremy Rutherford, former Post-Dispatch, you know, with uh, the Athletic, of course, and Luke Korak. They were they're incredibly helpful to me. And now, my friend, now, Danny, I, I know uh, just enough to be, uh, to be dangerous. And uh, uh, last year was... Uh, was incredible, and, and I'm liking it much more than I thought I would. The game is so fast, and uh, even now, uh, I'll, I'll uh, say the home games, I'll write the game story, you get out of, uh, and, and the rewriting, maybe you get home from uh, the rink uh, uh, from Enterprise at, at midnight, and, and the adrenaline's still flowing from writing on deadline, and so I'll turn on the replay on Fox Sports Midwest of the game, and I'll look at stuff, I'll see stuff on the replay, and I'm like, geez, I didn't even. So that's what happened on that play, right? I, I didn't see that happen. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been a fun ride and and a, just a great kind of late career thing for for me to do. And hey, lightning struck twice. Twenty years after the the, the greatest show on turf won the Super Bowl, I get to cover the the first Stanley Cup team. So that's uh, it's been pretty cool. I was just going to ask you that. What are the parallels of covering that Super Bowl team and and the parallels of of covering that to the first Stanley Cup that comes to St. Louis? Well, I, there were some similarities in, in the team. I mean, the, the Rams went from uh, from worst to first. I mean, they, they were four and twelve uh, the, the year before, and the Blues did it even maybe a tougher way. They, they went from worst to first within the same season. You know, in about a half season's time. And the other interesting parallel was uh, Kurt Warner. And Jordan Bennington, I even wrote a story about that uh, right at the start of the playoffs a, a year ago. Right, I mean, the Stanley Cup Finals a year ago in Boston, just kind of comparing uh, uh, Warner coming out of nowhere to, to Bennington coming out of nowhere. Uh, now, Warner's emergence from obscurity, you know, he was even more obscure than Bennington, but it, it was just it was just pretty pretty amazing to me how, how two players that, that were so relatively unknown uh would lead their teams and I even interviewed for interviewed Kurt for the story and he played along. He had known a little bit. He admitted he didn't follow hockey tremendously, but he'd known a little bit about the blues and then I mentioned it to Bennington. This is at the Stanley Cup Media Day uh in Boston at T D Garden and not quite a Super Bowl uh media day crowd, but still a pretty big crowd and Bennington was at his finest. I I, I asked uh that mentioned the the uh uh, the Warner and, and comparisons. He, he said, oh, "I've never heard of Kurt Warner, but it sounds like it was a pretty good story." <laughs> That's our boy, right? That's Absolutely. What do you think is going to? Ha- and I don't know if you're still following it at all. I'm assuming you do because you're intimately involved in in what happened with the Rams, and I'm sure you just keep an interest in it. What do you think is going to happen with the lawsuit with the the Rams and the city, and and just what's going on with that? You know, uh, I haven't talked to any of the attorneys. Uh, uh, for for a while, maybe a year or two, but I, I the sense I got and some of the last conversations I had with them was they they, they were not interested in a settlement at all, and they, they were going to see this thing through. And so now, you know, the the a typical league tactic and one that the Rams uh, took is you, you just try to stall this out, delay, 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 test the patience, 
and and the money for legal fees of the side you're up against. But the, the resolve on the St. Louis side seems to be very great. And uh, you know, I'm I might you know who knows maybe I'll be would be involved in covering the trial. But you know, for the chance to see uh, uh, Kevin Demoff on the stand, Stan Kroenke, and uh, Roger Goodell, Jerry Jones, I'm, I might pay twenty five bucks just to buy a ticket just just to see that. That would be be a lot of fun. I I think the case looks very good for St. Louis. With the caution that the NFL does very good on appeal in, in these kind of antitrust-related cases, although this isn't really strictly an antitrust, but there's a similar thing, at least uh, in terms of a team moving. So, uh, again, I I, uh, I I like St. Louis's chances in the opening round, but it's it's going to be a it's going to be a long struggle again. Uh, uh, the league keeps stringing this out. That's 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 one of their their, their go-to uh, plays in their playbook. Why do you think it, it took so long for? for Isaac to get into the Hall of Fame? Do you, is it because he wasn't flashy and flamboyant? I mean, if you look at the numbers, based solely on the numbers, he should have been in a long time ago, Jim. Uh, why, do you, why do you think it took so long for him to get in? I'd have to say that that is probably it. He was never uh, a diva wide receiver. and It's the most, in, 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 in football, in the NFL, it's the most diva position. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't just show up at the Cowboys Stadium and stomp on the star or or, or, or do whatever. He didn't have elaborate uh, touchdown celebrations, uh, you know, other than the bob and weave, which you, you see what, what happens now is pretty uh, innocuous. And, and uh, uh, he could have, people forget on that last day, he could have, uh, he could have set the single season all-time record for receptions. And that, that might've helped his case. And, at that game, it was a it was a Christmas Eve game against Miami, last game of the season against Marino and Don Shula. I believe it was Don Shula's last regular season game. Anyway, the Rams were scoring some points. Uh, Bruce caught, I think, 15 passes that day. and But they just couldn't keep up with the Dolphins. The Dolphins always had a two- or three-touchdown lead in that game. And, you know, Mike Marks, John Ramsdell, they, they told him, hey, we're going to throw the ball to you. You have a chance to set this record. And this is typical Isaac Bruce. He basically said, I don't want to win this way. He said, because he knew, you know, it's four minutes left. The Rams weren't going to win the game. So let some of the younger guys play. And he was adamant about it. And I think that's part of his personality. And, and uh, you know, had he been a little more of a me player, maybe he would have gotten, gotten more recognition. You, you remember, uh, uh, Danny, he, he, he did not, he had, Something like what? 117, 118 catches that year for That's right. like 1,780 yards. Still one of the top receiving seasons in, in NFL history. He didn't even get voted into the Pro Bowl that year. That's incredible. So, yeah. So he, and, and there were a lot, it was a year where there were a lot, maybe three or four receivers with numbers like that. But yeah, he, he just definitely had to, to, to work his way into it. And, you know, as I wrote yesterday, now he's got to wait a little bit longer, at least for the official enshrinement ceremony with the uh, ceremony being uh, pushed back to 2021. I'll wrap it up with this. The biggest difference in covering football and hockey. What, what do you see? In football, especially with a team that, that lost, you know, as much as most of those Rams teams, the schedule was very predictable. Uh, three times out of four, you were playing at noon. Uh, Tuesday was a day off. Wednesday was the first practice and big press conferences of the week. Saturday walkthroughs you weren't allowed in the in the building. So you had a, a schedule. It was a routine. The NFL very much a routine. And I quickly found out in hockey that the routine was that 
there was no routine. You had <laughs> these morning skates. Uh, you could be playing three games in four days, all, all, all the travel. Uh, uh, my wife, uh, most of the time in hockey, she had no idea where I was going from. Uh, yeah, so where are you tonight uh, from town to town on these road trips, road trips? So that, that, that's kind of the, the one thing right off the top that stands out to me. Jim, I mean this sincerely. Thank you for always treating me so well with respect and helping the younger guys. And uh, you're just incredible, man. The, all the stuff that you have brought St. Louis fans over the years, it is so much appreciated. And thanks for doing this with me today. I really, really, really do appreciate it. My pleasure. And, and thanks so much for the kind words. I, you, I really appreciate it, man. You bet. I mean it. That's Jim Thomas of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Um, coming up, we'll get to some Air Comfort Service text line uh, questions and comments and some mic drops as well. This is 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Air Comfort Service text line is open for you, 65780. Rhino Shield mic drop as well. Hopefully you enjoyed the visit with Jim Thomas. Really is a legend here in St. Louis. He covered, man, some really bad teams. That's hard to do. So he was on the beat at Mizzou when they were terrible in football. Terrible. And you got to go in and visit with the coaches and the players. That's not fun. It's his job, I get it, but it's not fun. And he did it with class and dignity and... Made sure he informed the fans. That's his job. I get it, but did it really well. And then bad Rams teams, great Rams teams, then really bad Rams teams, and then the transition from football all those years to hockey. And um, I can just tell you how he treated me and treated so many others. Just, just class, man. Just a really good dude. Really good person. Love Jim Thomas. Uh, 618, am I the only one dreaming of what it would be like in 2020 with the DH and Jose Martinez still on the club? Ideally, he would have been the guy if he's still here. Perfect fit, perfect American League player. We would say that all the time. Man, if the DH was in the National League, Jose Martinez, he's the guy, but he's not here. I do like what they got back for him, though. You're talking about Matthew Libertor, who was a couple of years ago top Pitching prospect uh, with Tampa Bay, really top pitching prospect in uh, Major League Baseball among the publications around the game. And from what I saw in spring training, I'm telling you, this guy with some fine-tuning is going to be really good. You never know. It's one of those deals that down the line, once he gets in the system of the Cardinals, not to say that Tampa Bay wasn't going to do the same thing that the Cardinals are going to do, and try to fine-tune some things. But I like how the Cardinals, once they get a player and a prospect, how they're able to develop. They do just a tremendous job with that. You know, you never know. You you have another Wainwright kind of trade on your hands, and he becomes a you know, 5-10-year guy. But a left-hander that throws like that, hard, incredible curveball. That's the one that stood out to me. I mean, he had knee-buckling stuff. It was fun to see so when you looked at Martinez and the plethora of outfielders the Cardinals had, you, you might as well move him. He had been a good guy. You wanted him to have a chance. He's a good teammate. And you wanted to give O'Neill and you wanted to give Lane Thomas a shot. You know you got Carlson coming at some point. 
So you're trying to create space. You got to get something for him. I, I like the deal. I do. 636, Dan, do you think winning a 60-game World Series championship is tainted or should be less valued? Hope we get number 12 in this year. Well, if you go through the season and there's not a lot of positive tests where players are being taken out, meaning massive everyday players that are affected, uh, I don't think it's as tainted. I, I just don't. And if it's just a regular season of 60 games and everybody's on par, then no. It's just a shortened season. Now, I know that some will think that it is because it's so short. I get it. We're all entitled to, entitled to our opinions, but no, I don't. And I think a good majority of the league is going to treat this as, let's go for it. Now, that may change as you get going in this season. And if some teams get off to a poor start looking at the economics of the sport and how they've been hit hard, every team has been hit hard, you may see a lot of movement with baseball. I do think that that's going to be a fascinating aspect um, going forward of this season. I also think you might have a team that had... A 162-game season have no chance. All of a sudden, slip in. They get hot, start believing, they get in. That's part of the fun of it. Let's go to a Rhino Shield mic drop, and this is Joshua. Happy Friday, Dan. You know, after hearing Jim Crane's comments, it kind of put a lot of things into perspective for me. Um, but I do wonder, fans or not, with games being played at home stadiums, is there a chance that we might get to see an actual opening day this year? Hmm? You know, even if it's just the Red Jackets or Clydesdales? I don't think the Red Jackets because you want to limit the amount of people around the players and vice versa. So I, I don't think that'll happen. Uh, and that would probably mean the Clydesdales too because someone's got to direct the Clydesdales around the infield. I could be wrong, but I think you just want to limit exposure of literally people, human beings around each other. Um, that would be my guess. And... Um, it would be great, though, for television if you could see it. If you could see the Clydesdales go around and pipe in the Here Comes the King music. It'd be neat. Be a sense of normalcy for an opening day. I don't think we're going to see that, but um, you never know. You never know. But I think the entire process, when you have over 100 pages of health and safety protocols, the whole idea, like putting a runner at second base in extra innings is let's get the game over. Let's get the players out of the stadium. Let's sanitize the clubhouses. Let's sanitize the dugouts. Let's sanitize everything we possibly can. And let's get people away from each other. And it's another day off the calendar closer to the 60 games being done. So that's the way I approach it. I really do. Uh, good morning, Danny Mack. This is from the 314. Love your point about Tommy Edmond. He was the spark. He was, and that's why he'll get a great chance to play a lot. I think every day you try to find a spot for Tommy. Um, and that's kind of going back to the point about the DH with Jose Martinez. You have options. So it could be Tyler O'Neill, the DH. It could be Lane Thomas getting a chance at a DH. Paul DeYoung might be your DH one day. Tommy Edmond could play the outfield too. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is going to need to get time off his feet. At some point, um, although he plays a ton and he's been relatively healthy for his career. And if you need to put him on the bench for a little bit to get time just off his feet, um, because I, I think that's been overlooked a little bit <clears throat> uh, moving forward, is that we talk a lot about the pitchers and limiting their innings. You know, how much have position players been on their feet throughout this? That's something to think about. 
you know, I, I've talked to guys that said that they actually were walking around their house wearing weights around their waist just because they got to get used to being on their feet during games. Got to think about it. Got to think about it. So some of the things to think about as we edge closer to what we hope will be, what we hope will be an opening day in the major leagues. Quick timeout. We'll cross it over. Ribs and BK coming up. The weekend is here on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Ribs and BK coming up, and they'll have you until 2. So, BK, what do we have coming up on the show? Uh, I think it's going to be a good one. First of all, Jamie is in a mood unlike any day you've ever seen him. Oh, yeah. He, he was telling us during the break. Animal today. <laughs> so, we'll be talking about Justin Falk. I've got some thoughts on the, uh, the interview he did with Jeremy Rutherford. We'll do that coming up momentarily. But at noon... St. Louis Mayor Lida Cruson is going to join us. We're going to ask her about the potential of having fans in the stands for Cardinals games this season. That's coming up at noon. And Kenny Wallace, I'm a new NASCAR fan. We're going to talk to Kenny Wallace about the NASCAR race coming up at 1230. All right, looking forward to it. Uh, Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.